Welcome, affiliated listeners, to another exciting episode of the Affiliated Podcast. As we get close to the Christmas season, this is our last recording of the year, at least that I'll be a part of. I don't really know what Thomas is doing. Thomas, what are you doing? By the I'm going to do a ton of podcasts without you, Kyle. So. A ton of them. Yeah. Just tons of episodes. They're all going to be five-minute podcasts of Thomas saying mean things about me. I think that's <laughs> leading up to Christmas. But um, no, we are joined today. We're going to be amazing conversation. I think one that's huge around this time of year, we get a lot of people that are reflecting, they're thinking about what they're going to do next. And oftentimes that next transition is how do you go from where your business is right now, six figures, seven figures, eight figures to the next step, the next benchmark. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, how to go from six figures to seven figures, from seven to eight, and even from eight to nine with a high-powered sales team, which is exciting stuff. Exciting, right, Thomas? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that's exactly <laughs> the excitement I was looking for. I've been for. a high-powered <laughs> salesperson. I've not built a sales team, though, so I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah. Yes, yes. So we're talking about a fleet of Thomases. So for those that want to know about their fleet of Thomases, we should introduce our guest today, which is Rich Kerr. Rich, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. How you doing? Kyle, thanks for having me. Super excited to have you, Rich. So um, I'm going to let Rich introduce himself and talk a little bit more about before that. I want you guys to know that Rich is going to be sharing with us again exactly how you could go from the solopreneur to making your first hires or wherever step it in. It's going from six to seven, seven to eight, and eight to nine. Huge jumps in your business, huge changes in your business, and Rich has seen and knows exactly how to help people get to those stages. So really exciting stuff. Um, Before we kind of jump into that, Rich is a, a great guy to talk to. We'd love to hear a little bit how you got to this podcast today, besides waking up, getting in your conference room, but um, how the business from, you know, went from starting to this moment, kind of what your journey was. Yeah. So, you know, I started out in sales uh, before the law led me to have a driver's license, um, actually back when I was 15. Um, <laughs> nice. Started- oh, so before you could drive, you were selling. So selling yes, people and getting really. you a car. <laughs> yeah. So I started out in a call center. Um and, uh, you know, I'm selling ad specialty advertising products to small, medium sized businesses all throughout the United States and Canada. I was raised by a, uh, a single father who owned uh, 10 different businesses, only made three of them work. So at a young age, I, I learned a lot about what not to do. Uh, at any rate, I stayed in that business for quite some time. By the time I was 21, I, I broke my first six digits, which isn't as big a deal today as it was back then. Uh, I think we're talking 1985. Uh, and, uh, by the time I was 23, that's like I, seven figures in this day and age with inflation. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, at any rate, by the time I was 23, I had 250 salespeople working under me, stayed in that business for quite some time. After I left that industry, I got into the financial industry where I was selling, uh, big ticket investments to high net worth individuals. So I did that for about 12 years. Uh, probably one of the highlights of that career is I sat on the board of a a commercial real estate firm here in Houston, Texas, small firm uh, asset base of about three and a half billion dollars in assets. And uh, I basically created a team that uh, I was the director of investor relations. So I sat on the board of the company and uh, I uh, created a team that uh, over about a three and a half year, four year period, we raised just under $40 million from high net worth individuals. Nice. And so, you know, I did that for a small amount. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm also former president of the National Catastrophe Association. After I finished my tour with them, I um, actually stumbled across my first what I call educator. Um, throughout this conversation, I'm probably going to refer to uh, different you know, 
uh, info marketers, educators, public speakers, gurus, whatever label you want to put on these folks these days, right? And so I ran across my uh, my first one. He specialized. Uh, he's actually here in Houston. He specialized in teaching people how to buy uh, small uh, and uh, basically buy and sell small uh, apartments. Hmm, okay. And so I really knew nothing about the business. Uh, it was a small operation. Um, he had uh, about four to five employees. Uh, he was doing about six to seven hundred thousand uh, dollars actually in the previous year. And I literally started working with him right after the first of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he had no salespeople. All he had was uh, he was doing webinars, doing a lot of recorded uh, webinars, doing a lot of JVing with uh, other educators in the real estate field. Um, and um, he uh, all he did was uh, besides that, uh, he would do one live event once a quarter with one salesperson in the back of the room while he's on stage. Oh, wow. So, okay. you know, when I interviewed with the guys like, Sue, do you have any sales presentations? No. Do you have any product description? Not really. Um, do you have any salespeople I can listen to? No. Right. So I kind of really had to go in there and just figure this whole thing out on my own. And after a few days, I started to get the hang of it a little bit. And he told me in the interview, he'd done about 670000 last year and his goal for this year was $1 million. And so, um, like I said, after you know a couple of months, I really started getting the hang of things. Um, this is all by uh, over the phone. And uh, after he heard what I, uh, you know, after he saw what I was able to accomplish with the sales, he moved that uh, $1 million to $2 million for his goal that year. Oh, we nice. clocked out. At the, yeah. So we clocked out at the end of that year, about 80,000 short of that 2 million. I did about 40, 40, uh, 44% of the production myself personally for that year. Wow. Um, the next year we went into it. Um, we did 3.2 million. I did about 54% of the sales production myself personally. Um, and also I started doing some of his live events with him uh, as well. Uh, and so really over about a 24 month period, we did about $5 million, you know, starting out with just a small operation of four or five people and built it up to an operation with about 65 people in a couple of different offices throughout the country. Oh, nice. Um, and so I used to, and this is kind of how I started my business. You know, I used to, uh, sit in, you know, my little cubicle, um, um, pitching away all day, every day, selling training, coaching, and mentoring. And, um, I used to sit about, I don't know. 10, 15 feet away from his JV, uh, his, his JV salesperson, right? Where they would mm-hmm. contact other educators, try to schedule JV uh, webinars. And so um, I'd hear her hang up, you know, I'd hear what she was saying and how to try to get these JVs going. And she'd hang up the phone. And I didn't know anything about the business, right? Short of being an attendee one time way back when I was in my early 20s and I bought some uh, you know, back then books and tapes, which, you know, I'm like, <laughs> like a lot of other students, uh, you know, read the first module and, uh, you it know, came in like the plastic the- container that you opened up and has that <laughs> right with the yeah, tapes. Yeah. 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 At any rate, uh, I was like your standard student, you know, I did the first module and never touched it again. And it sat there and collected dust, but, yep. uh, so that was my only experience with the business at any rate. So I would hear her hang up the phone after talking with, you know, XYZ educator and, uh, I'd ask her, I said, well, I heard you talking to Mike so-and-so. By the way, how many sales guys does he have? And she would say none. And then a few days later, you know, I'd ask her, you know, here, I hang up the phone, ask her, same question, how many sales guys does Bob so-and-so have? Uh, none. And finally, I went to lunch with her about a week or two later. And um, this is, by the way, uh, after I'd been with the company for some time. And, uh, I, you know, I, I heard you talking to uh, Mike so-and-so, how many, you know, educators, or excuse me, how many uh, salespeople does he have? Uh, she goes, Rich, you keep asking me the same question over and over. So let me just kind of set it straight for you so you can stop asking me this. 
She says 80% of the people that I deal with, um, of these other educators, when trying to schedule these JVs, uh, none of them have salespeople. You know, and I came from a world where without a sales team, you don't really have a company, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I said, you got to be kidding me. Why? She goes, well, I asked them the same thing. And they told me it's just, you know, really hard to get good quality salespeople. And, uh, you know, that's kind of when the, the light bulb went off. And I said to myself, why am I selling for one of these folks when I could be selling for all of them? And that's what kind of created the idea of opening the company to where we're basically a, a high profile sales force for hire. Right. So mm -hmm. if you need a, if, you know, if you already got your marketing dialed in and you've already got your um, offer dialed in and you got something that's working um, and you need, you want to scale from there, you would bring us in and we're basically an Adwater sales force for you. So, yeah, so that's kind of how I got started in the business. That is awesome. I love, I love that. Cause I think so many times one, it's just, I think lots of us get really caught up in, you know, you have to have a certain way or replicate what other people are doing yet. So much of business is seeing and acting on opportunity. And you could see the opportunities to continue to ask that question. I'm always so curious. I'm kind of curious what made you start asking it. Cause obviously I think you started to know what the answer was when you're asking the question over and over and over again, but seeing opportunity and being like, that is where it's at. Um, I, I mean, we've been on these interviews for a while now and outside of this, the amount of successful entrepreneurs we talk with, it feels like that is one of the number one things consistently happens. It's like work, 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 but it's the people that see the opportunity and strike on it that always make a huge difference. So, so that's fantastic. Oh, I thought Thomas was leaning to say something. See, it's when we're still learning even as we do this for <laughs> almost two years remotely. So with that, I think let's kind of jump in because you've obviously seen a lot of different companies, not only from ones you've been a part of, but also now is you're the sales team for hire. You know, you're bringing in so many different businesses, to different stages. So to break it down, I think we really want to talk about that transition thing of how do you go from six to seven? So let's really break that band down first, Rich. So you're, as we kind of define it, when we think of the six figure entrepreneur. I mean, I know I would think of somebody that's probably solopreneuring. Maybe they're similar to that guy that you talked to. They have some team members, but none of them are oriented around sales. They're probably just oriented around doing stuff that that individual didn't want to do, not necessarily things that are expanding the business. So walk me through kind of how you take what you see a six figure business is most likely doing, how you define what that person looks like and what they should be doing to go to the seven figures and kind of have a similar story um, to the guy that you started working with had. Yeah. So to be candid with you, a lot of the six figure businesses that I see aren't even as far along as he was. Uh, mm -hmm. Normally, they're a one man show um, mm -hmm. and they're literally doing everything. Uh, they are, you know, uh, writing the copy. They're running their own marketing. They're um, doing their you know, own presentations and their own webinars. Um, they are doing all the fulfillment themselves. They're handling the support and the customer service. They may have maybe one administrative assistant or kind of a right-hand person or, a, you know, VA or two, uh, but that's more or less it. Um, and they're normally doing somewhere between 20 and maybe $70,000 a month in revenue. So they're really at that infancy stage. Uh, and they are also not living much of a life, you know? Um, doing all of that themselves, they really just wake up every day having to do what they have to do, which is work in the business instead of uh, doing what they want to do, which is fulfill their dream by working on the business. And so, you know, they're kind of pigeonholed. And if they don't make some kind of move, they know that they can only, you know, 
they're, 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 they're human, right? So they can only do this for so long before they're going to hit burnout. Um, and so they really kind of have no choice but to start hiring staff and expanding from there. Uh, normally, the biggest solution to that problem is to start bringing on salespeople. And the reason is, is the sales process, whether they're doing the sales themselves um, or not, some are not, and they're, you know, their, their webinars are doing so well, they're doing, uh, they got their marketing dialed in so well, whether it's cold traffic and or uh, JVing, um, doing affiliates, or they've got all three figured out, um, and or they might be doing some of the sales themselves. The problem with it is, is that without salespeople, it's very difficult to scale from there. Um, and to, if they are doing the sales themselves, the problem with sales is, is that it's extremely, extremely time consuming. So, you know, if you picture yourself with five or six or seven appointments that day that are sales calls, um, they're, that's typically going to eat up somewhere between six and eight hours of their time for the day. And then in the meantime, they've got to do all of the things that, you know, create the sales, right, with, the, with respect to the marketing, with respect to uh, fulfillment, uh, support, um, you know, clear down to, you know, your, your traditional um, uh, activities that you have to do uh, for business, you know, clear down to the bookkeeping, right? And so um, at that point, what they basically have to do is they have to uh, shift from basically being a one-man operation um, and into being a real business, right? Um, and so in order to do that, um, that's like I said, they got to start bringing on salespeople. And so probably... Uh, the three biggest mistakes that I see when they start to go through that. Well, uh, real fast, Rich, I want to stop yeah. before you go into the mistakes. I, mean, so I think it's interesting. Um, one that I think oftentimes people hear the first hire at that point should be a salesperson. And I'm curious, I think a lot of times people think, you know, you kind of mentioned they already have a VA, so we'd scratch that one. That's normally the first hire. But I, a lot of times people might think, well, it should be a copywriter or a media buyer or, you know, an operations person or something like that. So you kind of mentioned with sales, it's time consuming. Is there any other things that you'd really, if someone's like, well, I'm not sure it should be a salesperson first outside of the time consumption. Can you think of maybe another big reason why someone should go with a salesperson first and then transition to kind of some of the mistakes that people make when they go to hire those folks? Yeah, so there's a couple of things besides uh, freeing up their time. Um, the other thing is obviously it's going to create a lot more revenue for you. Some of the, uh, a lot actually of the educators that, that I deal with, um, they're selling. And the main reason that they're successful at selling, if they're selling, um, is that, uh, you know, they're the face of the company. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but most of the time, they're really not very good salespeople. So mm -hmm. there are times because they are the face of the company, they actually will end up selling more than any salesperson they're going to hire um, just due to the fact that they're the face of the company. Um, and mm -hmm. at other times um, they uh, will actually get outperformed by the salespeople if they hire good enough ones and they're trained well enough, um, depending on the experience level of which they hire. Um, I will say one thing I probably should back up maybe um, that I didn't touch on is you know, maybe they're not doing the marketing. Maybe they, you know, um, maybe they have an agency or something that's doing some of that for them. But they're, you know, it really just it prevents them from. It, it's definitely without that, they're not going to have the freedom of being able to really build the business. And again, they're just going to end up hitting burnout over time. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that answers yeah. your question. No, no, definitely. So let's talk about some of the pitfalls of hiring because I, I kind of see what you're saying. I think one of the areas I really want to emphasize that stood out to me is it's directly. Sometimes hiring can be really scary as an entrepreneur. It's going to cost you a lot of money. 
you now, um, your success now benefits or is reliant on other individuals beyond yourself. So it's a scary hire a salesperson because the fact that if you hire a salesperson, they're going to bring in more revenue is definitely an easier hire in terms of at least they're not good. They should be able to pay for themselves and then some, right? So I think that's one that, that always seems a, a pretty interesting benefit to going after a salesperson. So that being said, you can make a lot of mistakes. What are some of the mistakes that you've seen people make and what should they do to avoid turning that first hire or that hire of a first salesperson from taking their business to seven figures to now taking it to five? Like what are some things to avoid finding yourself in that spot? Yeah, so probably the biggest mistake is not preparing, right? Um, a lot of them will just throw out an ad and just hire the first guy that will take the job. And mm. uh, I got to tell you that um, normally that uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, you know, even if they are lucky and the first person they hire is just this rock star and he comes out the gate, um, just, you know, uh, hitting the ball out of the park, um, you still got an issue with being able to scale that. Um, and mm -hmm. also there's a lot of prep that's necessary to create the right foundation so that as you build it, you don't end up saying to yourself, my gosh, look at what I've built. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And so um, a really Frankenstein I, monster situation there. You're like, yeah, ah, I mean, that, you know? how, do I, how do I get that thing under control? Right. Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. happens. I mean, these things can really get out of control very, very easily. Mm -hmm. So your best bet, uh, your best bets to try to prepare. And I think probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see is, is they don't have the right mindset. And I got to tell you that, you know, I've been in the game now coming up on uh, 38, 39 years. And uh, the one thing that I've learned most is mindsets, everything, because, you know, the way you think and what you're thinking about is really what ends up becoming your reality. So one of the things that they've got to get used to is the idea of giving up um, the control of handing the sales off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and that requires a lot of discipline because what's going to happen is typically, you know, you got to remember, you've been doing this for a while as the educator, right? So then you bring on a new sales guy and no matter how much and how hard you try to train them, if you prepare to properly train them, which most don't, yeah. um, which is one of the other mistakes we'll talk about in a minute. But, um, you know, you're going to end up, no matter how hard you train them, you're going to end up overhearing them make mistakes and they're going to burn some leads in the process. Um, I don't care really how good they are. They're still going to make some mistakes because, you know, look, it's the it's the first time that they're doing it. Right. Um, at least with you and your company and your product. And so it's very difficult for that uh, for that entrepreneur to not want to just jump in, take things over and go, well, um, I, I don't want to see, you know, they, they have that fear of, oh, I'm losing yeah. money. They don't understand to take that step backwards, to take two steps forward. And that there's going to be some of that, whether you like mm -hmm. it or not, there's going to be some waste there. Now you can mitigate these things by not doing the second mistake. Uh, and the second mistake is, um, you know, uh, not um, deciding the right culture because um, with the right culture, if you don't pay attention to your culture, what you're going to end up happening is again, you're going to start to build this thing. And as you build it, it's going to end up being, well, like I said earlier, quite the nightmare because you, if you don't have the right culture, right from the, the, the early stage foundation building things, um, you're going to end up with a team of folks that you're not really the type that you really want representing you or your brand. And so you've got to decide what the type of culture is that you want. And then the third and final thing is just being salesman ready, right? Um, you know, do you have all of the things in place to actually bring salespeople aboard, to train them, to, you know, give them any kind of guidance with respect to SOPs and things like that? 
So to go back to deciding on the culture, you kind of have one or two choices when it comes to the culture, right? You can have that type of culture that's the, what I call the old school boiler room, the the uh, Wolf of Wall Street type of one call close, um, super aggressive, um, take no prisoners type of culture. Mm-hmm. Or you can build a, a culture where, um, you know, the, the staff that you have is actually takes some real interest and is caring about the future of the student um, and their success and what they're going to have to go through. Um, and also, I got to tell you that um, that when you have that type of a culture with respect to the, the nurturing and the caring um, type of culture for the students and looking out for their best self-interest first, um, one of the end results you'll see of this over time is, is it really builds the lifetime value of the customer to the company. So it really mm-hmm. sets it up for more of a win-win situation for three reasons. One, um, you know, the customer's always, they're, they're, the more successful the customer is, the more success stories you have, the more success stories you have, uh, the easier it is for you to grow your business. Um, yeah. Two, the salespeople are happy because, you know, they actually get to see and how exciting it is to watch somebody go from, for lack of better terms, and nobody is a student, you know, brand new, never done this before. A lot of them don't even know how to spell business, right? Now you're putting mm-hmm. them into business for themselves, and then you get to watch how that is life-changing for them. Yeah. And I got to tell you that when you experience that, that's more exciting than even making the money, right? I bet. I bet. You, you, well, because it's uh, – one, I imagine establish the culture that you want, which, hey, if it's boiler room, you want to wolf of Wall Street people, at least hire the salespeople that want that same thing and bring them in or have that right. mindset beforehand. Uh, but I think of the, of the flip side too, if you want something that's very different and I would encourage to create a really strong LTV, giving that opportunity to know that, hey, you're hiring somebody that's not only going to sell it, just as good, if not better than you, but you're growing somebody to grow in your business. That seems really fantastic. Do you, so, do you have any um, tips for when you're yeah. hiring salespeople, like when you're actually going through the interview process, that you're bringing in someone poised to succeed in the right culture? So you're not putting a, mm-hmm. you know, Wolf of Wall Street closer into a culture that won't fit that or vice versa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's important in the interview process to lay into, um, you know, what kind of culture that you have and what you're looking for. And then, you know, throughout the process, you'll be able to come up, especially after you've been through a few interviews and kind of gotten your feet wet, you'll be able to start getting more creative with the type of questioning that you ask, the order in which you're asking those questions and the timing. That kind of gives you a little bit of the telltale signs as to, you know, is this the type of person that's actually going to care or are they just going to tell me what I want to hear in the interview? I will tell you, this is not the easiest guys, thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's what I call professional interviewers out there, right? Where they sound great in the interview, but uh, you tell them to get on the playing field and uh, they, again, you know, just fall flat on their face. Um, and I will tell you, there does become a point in time where you just got to go ahead and say, you know what, I got to give this guy a shot. And sometimes you're just going to have to realize that, you know, when you're hiring salespeople, you're going to end up playing the numbers game. I mean, uh, the amount of retention that you're going to have for real keepers, um, you know, is not very, very high, probably one, maybe two out of 10. Oh, wow. Um, so, you, you know, one of the one of the things that you're going to have to do um, and we'll talk about it some more. Um, as we go through this process uh, that I'm explaining, uh, you're going to have to get good at hiring fast and firing fast. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, you know, if, if you're talking to a p- true professional salesperson and they're, you know, they're being truthful with you, they're they're uh, they're giving you complete uh, transparency. Um, you know, they'll tell you, hey, look, I can I can 
I'm experienced enough. I've been around the block. You know, they'll tell you a lot about their background. So, you know, you just tell me what it is, how you want me to operate. And, and our company's this way. A lot of the guys that we have within our sales organization have 20 plus years of experience, right? So they pretty much learn just about every type of sales approach that you could take. They can do that old school boiler room, take no prisoners type of approach, or they can be as soft and nurturing as you want. And so um, a professional will tell you, just tell me exactly, you know, at what level you want me to perform at and uh, I'll, I'll meet those needs. Um, mm -hmm. Because most of your professional sales guys are looking for a home. They're not looking for somewhere where they're going to be around just a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. They want to, they want, they want something that they can sell and that will be sold and then, you know, that they're going to continually make commission off of, I would imagine. Well, another thing that I think a lot of people overlook is, is that salespeople historically are not treated very well at most companies. You know, they bring in all the money. They're the reasons that most people get a paycheck that aren't in sales to keep the lights on. And, and a lot of times they're treated the worst out of anybody. So when a salesman finds a company where they're actually valued and they're, you know, they can tell that the company actually cares about their well-being. Uh, I got to tell you, that goes a long way with keeping in, uh, the salespeople with respect to retention. So as long as the money's there, if you add that to it, uh, you'll have very, very low turnover for the ones that actually can, uh, um, you know, perform. I was curious, I don't know if this is the right time to ask this, but I'm curious, I'm like, when you're building out the structure and for the team, how do you coach people through like the compensation models for the sales team? And like, I know that's a big hangup for people. They want to pay a compelling amount, but they don't want to overpay <laughs> on the commission Well, and piece. before, I'd like to, there's a couple follow-ups I just wanted to hit sure. up before we, we go into that. Um, just one real quick one is just, you'd mentioned that, you know, once you get more experience with interviewing, you start to, you know, learn some kind of questions and things based on your sales process, kind of throw people off. And, and I think we used to kind of almost disrupt that professional interviewer mentality, um, as well as I think seeing a, a salesperson and what they do when they're under pressure and things aren't working well is great. Can you give us just any specific examples? I know sometimes it's tough because it's going to be business specific, uh, but just some examples, some really good questions that you've maybe asked in the past or do you like to ask um, when, when it fits? Maybe you ask more often. Yeah, so I think probably the best way to go about it is, is that, you know, if you have a concern about the behavior of maybe the way a salesperson would, would um, uh, the behavior uh, that they would perform with in a certain situation is just ask them, you know, if this were to happen, how would you handle that? Um, and so that can be a variety of different things, right? Um, but I think that if you put it in such a way where they're kind of um, put on the spot, where they weren't expected to be put on the spot with let's, you know, let's go down a pretend moment here. And, um, you know, hypothetically, if XYZ were to happen, tell me how you'd respond to the customer that way. Gotcha. So giving them a, a challenging situation with appropriate specifics that mm -hmm. ideally they they'll have to answer that could throw them off some. So, I mean, and again, I hate to press you. It's always tough. Can you think of any examples of just a specific question that stands out to you when you kind of think about this? I mean, you've asked in some recent um, interviews. Yeah. So I'm maybe, uh, might ask, a, a, uh, I might ask them how uh, they would handle uh, somebody that uh, within the first few seconds of the conversation. Uh, yeah. What's this whole thing going to cost me? Right. Mm -hmm. Or uh, something like that. You know, um, are they going to, you know, be confrontational or are they going to, uh, you know, respond in such a way that uh, it uh, they kind of put the customer at ease at the start. They'll have to, you know, 
put the conversation almost on hold and let's have that conversation before we move forward. Uh, you know, something to the nature of, well, wait a minute, I'm not even sure that you qualify to work with our program. Uh, mm -hmm. Let me ask you, have you ever owned your own business before? No. Well, let me ask you, what uh, what makes you think you're qualified to be a business owner in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Perfect. No, that helps out a ton. So with that, we'll go back to Thomas's question, too, in terms of the commission structure. So I always think that's super interesting when hiring, especially if you're doing it for your first time, your first salesman, how do you uh, sales? person, how do you get that right compensation structure? Yeah. So, you know, I think that what you want to do is, is you want to come up with how much money that you think that the salesperson uh, needs to make in order for them to be happy. Again, in order for them to uh, feel like this is a place that, uh, that that's a new home, not just another job. Right. So a lot of obviously uh, that that has to do with is what kind of income that they can make. Um, you've already got a bit of a track record of uh, what kind of uh, sales revenue you've been producing. And then I would uh, reverse engineer, you know, the dollar amount of what you think they should be making a year um, into how much you've been producing. And I would assume that you probably want them, again, it depends on how much revenue you've been doing, but if you think you're really doing well at it, you might want to assume they're gonna produce 80% of what you're producing and then just reverse engineer the numbers down to a commission. Um, a lot of things that uh, one of the, one of the I think the, the better models is, is to make sure that you have a sliding scale so that they do have something to constantly chase and that they'll get into some kind of a comfort zone. Um, but that's, that's how, sliding, that's how- Is that sliding scale about. based on like the target for them to, does that mean like their target to- Right, so if they hit XYZ amount, they, you know, the commission goes up a few points. Uh, gotcha. If so they, some, and, and just moving it all the way on up to the ladder, um, of, you know, somewhere in the middle is kind of where you want them at on that sliding scale. And then if they're producing above that, they make more money, they get a higher commission. And now you're even happier because he's a really top performing producer. Gotcha. And what's your opinion on like a base commission, like a base salary plus commission or only commission? Yeah, or... I'm, I'm completely against any kind of base salary. Okay. So you like to go for a full commission only kind of structure? Yeah, because here, here's what's, you know, the problem with that. The problem with that is, is that when you do hire... Um, on any kind of a base. Um, let me back up and say that I, I would be willing to entertain the base on somebody that's extremely um, experienced. Um, in fact, if I think they know more than me. And this kind of goes back to the way that um, not getting, you know, I was telling you one of the mistakes was not being, uh, uh, getting salesmen ready, right? So what happens is the salespeople, they go into the interview, they're promised all these tools that they're going to get uh, to do their job. Right. And this is supposed to be the things that replace that safety of, a, of a, some kind of a salary or hourly wage. Right. And if they're a good salesperson, as long as the tools are there, they, they don't really care about any kind of a salary. Right. Because they know that if there's a salary, then chances are the commission is going to be less. And if they're a real go getter, they're going to want that higher commission uh, so that, you know, a portion of their commission is not, um, you know, offsetting the, the salary. And so uh, at the end of the day, um, they, uh, the, the problem with giving a salary is, is, as I stated earlier, you've got these professional interviewers, right? And so they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And then when you start hiring more than one, right, let's say it's five or six or something like that, you've got quite the overhead with the payroll and, you know, it might take that salesperson a little bit of time to start producing. And then you run into a situation where you got more coming, going out than coming in. I just think it's a lot more risky. Uh, if I was talking to an extremely, um, 
extreme uh, a salesperson with some extreme background. I was really impressed with them in the interview. I might make an exception because uh, the only time I ever find that making an exception is when they have, I can tell they're, because I've been through this myself before, uh, being the sales guy, where they promised me multiple different situations where they promised me all these tools will be there. I get started and let's say I get into a sales process where I've done everything I could. Now I need XYZ tools to finish it out and do the, you know, close the sale. And those things just aren't there. Um, so in your more seasoned people, they, they might say to you something like, look, and, and I used to do this to be candid with you. I used to say, look, I'm going to need some kind of salary. And let me tell you why it's not because I have any interest in your salary. All right. Because that's not going to make me the kind of money that you and I have been talking about. Um, I want to make all that money in the commission, but here's the thing. My experience has been that if uh, I don't have some kind of a salary, um, then what's going to happen is when it comes time for you to provide those tools and you don't have them ready and you have me at the bottom of your, uh, priority list because you've got all these other things going on in your business. Um, then what happens is, is that um, unless I, I feel like that salary is going to motivate you to make sure that you know that I am sitting here in a holding pattern, I'm twiddling my thumbs and it's costing you money while I sit there yeah. and do nothing. What but, some examples of like what those tools might be in a business that sales teams are waiting for? I'm sure it's dependent on the business, but there's like an overarching thing that is often missing that a salesperson needs to do their quote unquote job and close those deals. Yeah. So, I mean, it can, it can be a huge variety of things. Um, there might be a situation where the company needs uh, some kind of an adjustment to some kind of an agreement that they want the customer to sign. I've got the guy ready to go. He's ready to sign. I mean, he's ready to make payment, but I don't have a contract for the customer to sign. Uh, I've seen that happen many times. Um, I don't uh, have uh, maybe some of the product description, you know, like I said, that, that, that first company I started with, they didn't have anything. Right. So I literally had to go in there and interrupt the, the, the owner's uh, day and say, look, I can't go any further without having these tools like a product description. I don't know what a buyer generator is that you got listed here. It just says in your bullet points, buyer generator. What the heck is a buyer generator? Right. So that's just uh, to give you some small examples. But I think to kind of circle back around, guys, to one of the big mistakes is not getting salesmen ready. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that. Um, so I'd like to kind of focus on that for just a quick minute, because if you are not salesman ready, I'm just letting you know, they're going to go through a lot of work doing all these interviews, hiring all these people. And again, these tools won't be there. So I guess it kind of, and I think of it, it kind of touches on what you were asking. Um, so to be salesman ready, you know, you first thing you're going to have to do is, is you've now decided your culture. You're going to have to script everything. You're going to have to have a sales presentation. You're going to have to have product description. You're going to have to have all of the different um, qualifications that you want to make sure that the students that they're bringing on are truly a good fit for you so that you don't you know, find yourself going back to that whole uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, just you know, take whoever's willing to give you your, their money um, type of students because those students are typically problematic at the end of the day. And then um, in addition to that, you're going to want to make sure that you've uh, scripted all the uh, different uh, drops and uh, rebuttals and uh, different closes and things like that. And uh, that's a lot. I mean, to give you an example, uh, here at our company, when we hire salespeople, um, we're very big on memorization. Um, I found that the fastest way for a salesperson to lose a sale is when they lose confidence in themselves, meaning the customer asks them a question, they get caught off guard, and their knee-jerk reaction is to go, uh, uh, uh. Immediately, the sales 
gone. Uh, the, the, the customer, the prospect loses confidence in the salesperson um, because they're reading that the salesperson has lost their confidence. And it's strictly because they just don't know what to say. So we're very big on memorization and going back to being, you know, the training and being salesman ready. Um, we've run the we've run the uh, the analytics on our sales material, and it's literally about 200 words short of the Constitution. So this is the kind of I'm not joking. This is the kind of training that we put our salespeople through. And then, see, that's just step one. Right now, you know what to say. But now we've got to worry about delivery. We've got to worry about timing. We've got to worry about the pace in which they say certain areas. So you're talking a bit about building out the script, quote unquote, right? Like kind of the sales script they might use or different branching models of, you know, this say this when X happens. But they're they're almost asking them to be not an actor, I guess. But you're asking them to kind of commit this to memory so they can pull different pieces of it, it sounds like, when and if they need to. Right. So, so I mean, let me say this. Once you've internalized the information and then you start to learn your delivery, it no longer is a part of what you're saying. Um, it's a part of who you are, and it just becomes a part of your natural vocabulary. In fact, one mm, of the I things like that, that we yeah. encourage is, is to use some of this material when you're out with friends and family. Not necessarily the material, but maybe uh, the, the, the approaches and things like this. Um, also, as you get more advanced, you kind of start to test how far you can push the envelope without upsetting the customer or without it seeing feeling like that they're being pressured. And the only way you know is to test those waters over and over and over again. And you have to do it in such a way that, um, you know, you're not burning leads. So a lot of times mm. we tell them that when you're out, like one of the things I used to constantly do throughout my career is do this as a joke with my friends. How far can I push that envelope before they start to get upset? And then about the time they start to get upset, I pull them off the, from going over the cliff and, you know, let them know that I was joking type thing. And we had to just laugh together about it. But um, so, you know, you, now you got everything scripted. You're going to also need to record all of your, not all of your, but have recordings of your presentations so that they can start to learn the delivery. They can start to learn the way and what, you know, it's in sales, it's it's um, 10% of uh, what you say, 90% of how you say it, right? And so they're going to have to learn the delivery. Um, so there's a lot of science that really goes behind um, the training of the salespeople. And then, you know, the other thing that you're going to have to do is, is that you're going to have to... Um, Make sure that you've built out uh, tracking for uh, the salespeople's KPIs. Um, you're going to have to make sure that uh, you've got a structure set up for your sales meetings and your sales training. Um, you've got to train, at least if you want to your salespeople to be of any real value with respect to, you know, being in that upper percentage of quality of salespeople, you're going to have to constantly train. I mean, train. we train every single day. And so, you know, you're going to have to set all this stuff up. Um, and then once you're finally, uh, you know, and then you've got to have uh, all of the other things that are in place for the salespeople to be able to actually not just close the sale verbally, but again, you know, if you have contracts that you need in place, you're going to have to create uh, those contracts uh, for the customer signer agreements or order forms or whatever you want to label the, those documents. Um, and so now you've got, now your salesman ready, right? Now you're finally ready to start running ads, right? Um, you're start ready to do the interviews and then you're going to start going through that learning process. Cause again, you've never done this before, right? And now you're going to have to go through that, uh, learning process of how to identify what's a good hire and what's a bad hire. And I got to tell you, it's, I, I've yet to see it be a complete science. I've had people that I thought wasn't, uh, probably a very good hire, but he said just enough where I said, you know, let me give the guy a shot. He ends up being a rock star. I've had other people where 
this guy is going to be dynamite. I get all excited about him. And then they get on the playing field. And like I said, they, they just fall on their face. So sometimes you just got to just uh, take the approach of pull them in and then just get good at, uh, you know, higher, fast, fire, fast. Um, and then, you it's know, almost keep... like if you have the trust that you have the right systems in place, you've given them training, they have the right incentive. At that point, you just need to get the right person. So fast in, fast out behooves you versus holding on, which I imagine sometimes when you're getting your first or second hire, that hire fast, um, fire fast could be pretty challenging because you might not feel confident that you have the other systems in place. Would you say that's pretty common with the people that are doing it the first time? And then kind of my question would be yeah. is, does that start to change when they hit to the that seven to eight figure range when you're looking at making that next leap? Yeah. So the answer is, yeah. I mean, you're going to go through a lot of trial and error when you haven't done this stuff before, just like anything else that you're brand new at. Right. And so that was what I was about to say is, is that you uh, probably don't know how to do any of this stuff. You're going to have to learn as you go. So be prepared to start this process uh, and do it over and over again until you actually get it down. Right. And then once you've got it down, now you're starting to be able to build a sales team. Um, and when you start to transition from your six to seven figure um, when you start to go through uh, transitioning from a six to seven figure business, where you should be at that point is, is you should have somewhere between four and 10 salespeople working for you. About 50% of them should be fully trained. Uh, if you've done a good job in building your culture, um, probably four to five out of those five to 10 um, what I have found is I found a sol rock solid pattern that the foundation for a sales team is typically going to be about four to five guys that are fully trained. If done a good job in your culture, uh, they uh, they're extremely loyal and uh, they'll end up being permanent fixtures within your organization within uh, within the organization. And so that gives you a foundation to build from. Right. Um, one of the things I probably should have mentioned that when you're doing the interviewing process, when you're first getting started, start to try to look for telltale signs that might be somebody that might be management quality down, you know, have some quality, wow. uh, management qualities for down the road, uh, whether it be a sales manager or team lead or something of that nature. Um, and then the other thing that I want to also touch on that I think is important um, before we move into, you know, transitioning into um, a, a seven figure company is you've got to decide what kind of a sales model that you want. So, so there's mm. three types of salespeople that you can hire. You've got your setters. These are folks that basically call, identify interest. If they don't have interest, spend a little bit of time, short period of time of trying to create interest and then qualify whether or not they're qualified to work for the company. And the end result of their conversation should be to either do a live transfer to a closer and or schedule an appointment for that person to talk with the closer. The closer's job um, is to basically take somebody that's already been qualified um, and then recover and identify why, uh, the, uh, customer, why the customer would be a good fit. You want to make sure you identify things like their, the reason they want to do the business, um, their pain, why, what, you know, what, is it, what are they going to get out of this more than money? Because uh, a lot of people don't realize that money is just a vehicle to get you where you want to be in life, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so you, know, you need to know the reasons why. You know, um, what are the, some of the things that, they, that they're missing out of their life that they really want? That's the reason that they're really buying. Uh, remember, people buy off emotion and uh, justify it um, with facts, right? Um, and so their job is to, you know, kind of pull that back out of the customer because maybe it's been a little bit of time that's went by from when they talked with the setter uh, to the closer, right? So we got to bring those emotions back to the front side of the conversation. And then what happens is their job is to obviously explain the program and close the sale. 
And then you have the third type of salesperson that you'd hire, which is what I call a hybrid. And this is somebody that can do the setting and the closing. They can do it all from start to finish, from hello to goodbye. And I always recommend that folks go with a hybrid um, type sales team, uh, especially at the start. And here's why. Yeah. Once you get to the start where you're ready to transition from a six to a seven figure business, um, if you start out with nothing but setters and closers, you're going to find yourself with an imbalance one day. Maybe somebody's quit, got fired, got sick. I remember one time I had a guy get COVID and he was out for six weeks. He was a closer. So I ended up oh. with too many appointments and not enough closers to attend the appointments. Where had I been a hybrid guy, I could they can do it all, right? So they can handle the setting, they can handle the closing, they can handle it all. And so if you start out with that foundation, you probably will be in a position where if you end up, you know, having to move people around on the chessboard as far as your sales team, um, you've got that foundation where that you can plug into that uh, that starter team uh, for that extra help. Um, so by the time that you are ready to transition from a six to a seven uh, uh, figure business, um, you should probably be at that point, like I said, with about uh, five to 10 salespeople somewhere in there. Um, and again, um, at least four or five of them should be fully trained. Again, if you did a good job in building the culture, they're extremely loyal. They'll be permanent fixtures within the organization. That actually is your foundation where you're going to build from there. Um, the other, uh, the other, uh, you should be at that point with respect to production, sales, production revenues. You probably should be somewhere between about uh, 200 to maybe as much as $700,000 a month in revenue. On a, on a on a regular basis, like you've yeah, consistent. Gotcha. That's another thing. That when I say that these folks are fully trained, and if you've done a good job with the culture and they're they're permanent fixtures within the organization, your numbers every month should be extremely consistent, unless something goes real haywire with your market. Gotcha. So as long as the leads, at least are when you're looking, because that that also could help. You might be just experiencing maybe a viral swell, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the business is ready to go to hiring a sales team, so on and so forth, that kind of stuff. I'm sorry, say that again? Like, just because what you're saying is you might have like a swell, like maybe an affiliate promoted something, it did really, really well, so it looks like you're going to have a great month. But if you're not seeing that consistently, it, it's not to say that you're really at that level if you're not hitting it month by month. Yeah, by that's month. right. And yeah, yeah, I got to tell you, it's all going to start with the, you know, the, the amount of leads uh, that you're producing on a regular basis is going to dictate the consistency in your sales production, assuming that your salespeople, again, are fully trained um, and you've built the right culture to where, you know, they, uh, they're permanent fixtures within the organization. Uh, the reason that I bring up this whole permanent fixture within the organization is if you don't get to a point where you have the, what I call a skeleton crew that is this permanent fixtures within the organization, it's going to be very difficult to build from there. Um, and so this is probably what I would say is one of the hardest things to accomplish in the business when you're going from six to seven is getting that initial skeleton crew uh, that's there that's going to be around for a long time. Um, once you do that, once you do that, now you got something that you can start to duplicate. Um, and uh, the I will tell you the the next mistakes that I see when um, they want to go from a six to a seven is there is another again uh, mind shift change that they've got to make, and what they need to do is the mind shift change that they're going to have to make is they're going to have to start thinking bigger. Right. And part of that is start to thinking of big ticket uh, sales. Right. And so they're going to have to start thinking and being comfortable with the idea of um, 
creating bigger upsells, doing bigger packages, and also increasing their pricing. Okay. Mm, and I got to tell you, this is a real struggle that I see these early stage educators go through. Um, for whatever reason, um, they have a limiting belief on the value that they're bringing to the table. Um, you know, and I actually have to walk them through this really almost like a psychiatrist <laughs> um, because they don't really realize what they're bringing to the table. I think that they're just so used to it being just a part of their everyday life. It's not what they do. It's who they are. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that, you know, what they're really providing um, their, their student. I mean, we're talking about providing with them uh, with a life changing uh, opportunity. You go into business for yourself. It's not because you're happy with your nine to five, right? You're wanting to yeah. do better. You're wanting to create a better life for yourself and your family. You're wanting that financial freedom, right? And um, so uh, they, they got to be okay with charging for that. And so part of the things, one of the talks that I take them through is kind of have a, what I call a tough love talk with them. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. So when you tell I ask them, how much money did you make when you were doing the business yourself? Mm -hmm. And whether that number is a million dollars in a year or, you know, five million dollars over um, the four years I was doing it or 10 million, whatever that number is, I ask them, you know, bluntly. So when you tell me that, are you lying? No. OK, well, good. OK, that's a good start. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Which sometimes I imagine that might not be the answer. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, well, I can say, if I do hear that answer, I typically run the opposite direction as fast as I can. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but uh, at any rate, you know, it's kind of bringing them into the reality of things. And uh, I ask them, so when you built out your course, uh, did you uh, actually duplicate your systems, your procedures, your model and everything um, in your course, or, or did you leave anything out? And, uh, you know, they tell me, yes. Okay. And um, so, all right. So then your program works, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. If a student came to you and he says, you know, if you think I'm the right person for this business, would you recommend I do this business or would you recommend that I go and get a, you know, college education and just get a job? Mm -hmm. um, and they'll say, no, I believe that this business is, you know, the best business in the world or I you know, wouldn't have invested all this time making it, um, you know, my yeah. whole world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I said, well, OK, um, what about going into some other kind of business um, instead of this business? Do you think that's the right move? No, I think this is the best business to go into for all of these different reasons. You can make all of this money. You're not having to, uh, you know, put yourself in a situation where you're always working 60 hours a week, which you can very easily do in corporate American things like this. And then, you know, once we've kind of had that discussion, then I'll ask them, well, by the way, you know, what does it cost for college these days? You know, the average mm -hmm. college education, what's that run? A couple hundred thousand dollars a year? Um, yeah. A lot of people say, yeah. That, that value, right? It's like, man, right. people are going to spend that. Why would they not spend it with you? Yeah, for sure. Right. And then I'll ask them, how about what's the cost of a franchise these days, right? Yeah. You know, several hundred thousand to several million dollars. Um, in fact, I'll even mm -hmm. tell them a story. You know, I've got a couple of friends of mine here in Houston that opened up a neighborhood sports bar. They were from the bar industry and it was three guys that opened it. All three of their girlfriends worked in the bar um, industry. And so there were six of them, right? That were totally vested, right? And mm -hmm. uh, when I asked them how much they spent to open their bar, and by the way, that's just a neighborhood sports bar, nothing fancy, but not a, you know, not a dive either. These guys spent $600,000 and told me they barely made it. And that's what six of them willing to basically work for next to nothing. Right. Dang. And so I say yeah. to him, you know, so knowing that it costs a couple hundred grand to get a college education, to get a job, knowing that mm -hmm. it um, 
knowing that it costs, uh, you know, several hundred thousand to several million dollars to a franchise, knowing that opening up a neighborhood sports bar costs 600 plus thousand dollars, doesn't it make you feel a lot better about charging for one of your more advanced programs, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars? Doesn't that seem like a pretty good deal to you? And, yeah. you know, kind of really kind of wakes them up and they see the light. Um, and they got to get over that mind shift or uh, what has happened. I've seen a few of them that didn't get over the mind shift. And that's how I kind of came up with this conversation that I just kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of rolled probably with you there for a second. Mm -hmm. um, and because uh, I've seen them literally like, especially at a live event on stage, like they were confident throughout the entire education process throughout the entire time. And then when it come came time to present the package, do the drop, I mean, their tone of voice, their level of confidence just went completely into oh, the dirt. Right at the close. Yeah. 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 Just crashing. It, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, so mindset's a really, really big deal. And you've got to transition your mindset from the six to seven figure and the seven to eight and the eight to nine. Right. Yeah. And so, they, again, they got to start thinking a big ticket. They got to get uh, used to the idea of charging, uh, you know, having bigger and better packages and uh, also raising their prices. Now, yeah. for some of the folks that might watch this that, you know, haven't been into this, haven't gotten their business model this far, um, typically there's about four tiers you're going to do your packaging in uh, of your training, coaching, and mentoring. And uh, mm -hmm. the first stage is just your standard, um, what I call home study course. It's basically a series of videos and maybe a year's worth of, um, maybe a year's worth of, uh, of uh, email support or maybe a face group support group. Um, that's tier one, kind of a do it yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And then uh, age two is they get all of the, you know, they get the, the course, they get the, the support, but now that you start, you start implementing some of the, the coaching, some of your small group coaching, some of your one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so that's where you take it up a notch with respect to, again, the size of the package and the pricing. Um, the third yeah. stage is, uh, or tier is typically, um, where you start to provide uh, some done with you services, right? Where you're doing a little bit mm -hmm. more handholding and doing some of the work side by side with them, which falls into a little bit of the, the uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry, I re, let me restate that. Stage two <laughs> or tier two is coaching, which is doing the work with them, you know, side now by that's, side. Is that one right? on one or more, one on one or group for stage two? So stage two is typically a blend, right? Stage two, okay. I would start out my beginner package in stage two being small group coaching. And yep. then what I would okay. do is as they get more experience with the small group coaching, just like if you were to go to college, right? Sign up for college course and you're just not getting it. What's the next logical stage, right? Hire a tutor, mm -hmm. which is the same thing as one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? And so for the folks that need that extra help on the one-on-one -on -one coaching or want to move the, the, the ball down the field with their business quicker, getting that one-on-one -on -one time with a, with a coach uh, is definitely going to you know help you move the ball down the field quicker and help you get a clearer understanding. Um, so it's, 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 Either or, um, mm -hmm. but I thought I feel like they fall within the same tier. Um, the third tier is uh, done for you, right? Where you're doing mm -hmm. a lot of the services, if not all of the services, for them. Yeah. And then the fourth and final tier is the done with you and a done for you combined package, where gotcha. the company is doing the business for you over here, 
while you're in the background learning the business, doing it side by side with them with the coaching. Nice. Side. So teach we teach you while we do it at the same time, kind of thing. So right. um, real fast again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah rich really appreciate it. i just i realize we've been having this conversation we're, we're getting close to the end on time and we haven't given people that that kind of seven or sorry the eight to nine figure jump so in the sake of time um I, if you could give me just like a real quick like and i hate to, to shrink it down but give me like one thing or one big transition maybe even that mindset shift because we talked about the mindset from six to seven it's like hey it's not just you um and then when you start going from that seven to eight range it's like you're a lot more than what you think you are, which I imagine sometimes you're like, I just want to get a sale. Now you're like, no, 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 you, you're actually really good at this. You're bringing more value than you recognize. What's the mindset shift that you have to take from the eight to nine steps? And then from there, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll use that as our last question um, and kind of work through that um, and then tell the people how they can get a hold of you if they want. They're like, oh, I need more information. I want to talk to you more. We'll give the people sure. how they could do that as well. Yeah, so I got to tell you, the shift from eight to nine, I got to tell you, that t- requires some real soul searching. And I'm going to kind of speed up the rate at which I'm talking because I'm running out of time here. I probably <laughs> should have, a, I, there's a lot more I can talk about. Um, I probably should have paid more attention to the clock. I apologize. <laughs> no, um, no, it's okay. No worries. It's, it's it's nothing that somebody can't hop on a call with me and uh, and we can mm-hmm. take a deeper dive on some of the stuff that I'm going to have to skip over here. But, uh, you know, it's some real soul searching. What I mean by that is, is you've got to make a decision right now. If, if you're at that uh, stage where you're at eight figures, right, and you want to move to uh, you're considering moving to nine, you're already making quite a bit of money at this point. Right. And so you've got to really ask yourself, do I want to stay where I'm comfortable at right now? I could continue to do this forever and live a really, really good life. Right. Or do I really want to go big? Do I really want to blow this thing up? Do I want to start heading down the road of becoming a household name? And um, so at that point, the soul searching that you have to do is to is make that decision. And if you are going to make that decision, it comes down to this. You're going to have to give up all control. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have to start bringing on C-level people. And the reason is, is my experience has been to get into that hundred million plus a year mark. You're probably going to have to start creating additional businesses that are somewhat related to what your core business is and or acquiring other businesses. And it's going to take those C-level people that have an expertise in that particular business that you're going to either be building that's unfamiliar territory for you and or, um, you know, the businesses that you'd be acquiring. Um, and so you're going to have to start really, again, backing up even further where that seven to eight figure you're you're managing from a 1000 foot view. Now you're going to have to be managing from a 10,000 foot view and you're, um, you know, you're just going to have to completely delegate. Right. Um, and so I think that um, I think that you're that's that's the mind shift that you're going to have to go through to get to that point. Um, and so, yeah, it's a big move. Yeah. Yeah, no, I imagine it's it's really we've seen at each transition, the mindset is giving up a little bit more, right? Each time from doing everything to, well, let me just replicate what I do to other people to then, okay, well, now it's like what you're doing is is worth more. So we have to shift again a further stretch away. Your time close up has to mean and cost a lot more to where now it's, you know, you're transitioning to a point where it's like your time should never be involved in day to day. Like you are much, much bigger, all that stuff seems to delegate away. So definitely that bigger transition of, rem- it's, it's not removal from the business, but just distance from from where you started making that first sale to where you are in the, the nine figure range. So um, again, really appreciate the time. We had so much we talked about here, Rich. It was fantastic. Learned tons of stuff. And I think 
I don't know about you, Thomas, but as a sales professional, there are lots of things I was thinking. I was like, that's really interesting. How are we doing that in our own sales structure? So, um, and then circling back to one notes, of the big yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, one of the big things that I really took away here is just this idea that when you're early on, it makes more sense to start with the sales team, whether you're hiring your own, whether you're hiring an agency that does this so much sooner than I think businesses think that they could bring it in because it brings revenue, it brings it right away, and it challenges you to really understand your own sales process to a different level so other people could do it as well. I think it really, really opened my eyes to an amazing early step. Um, so with that being said, Thomas, any other things that you took away before we tell the people how they can get a hold of Rich um, if they'd like to? Um, and we'll give you an opportunity to tell a little bit of uh, people about that as well, Rich. I just love the focus on, you know, the what people might call the boring stuff, right? Like the operational processes, like what actually needs to be in place for a, a successful salesperson to have success. Because that's what mm -hmm. we see a lot in the space or probably any space. It's like. You have the sales team going, oh, this doesn't work because of X, Y, Z reason. You've got the owners going, my sales team isn't working because they're not working hard enough and they're not good enough. And it just gets caught in this blunder <laughs> of yeah. just this hiring, firing phase without ever fixing the root problem, which is what are the tools and the trainings and the systems that they actually need to thrive and yeah, succeed in your organization. So I think yeah, being able to focus on that or chat with someone like yourself who can help them build that out and then yeah, execute at a high level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so no, I think I think it was perfect because again, guys, it's like some of the stuff. I think what I really heard from Sue is like you might think it's easy to just hire a salesperson, and it's maybe easy to hire somebody, but to have success with them takes a lot more work. Not necessarily. There's some things in the hiring process, but I felt like the biggest thing here is it's the tools that they need from the get go to make your salespeople not only more effective but less expensive. So more effective, less expensive have the systems in place to get done. So, so Rich, for people listening to this and thought, wow, that sounds great. I want to have a sales team or, hey, I think there's a lot that I'm missing from the sales team I have right now. And they want to talk to you. They want to connect with you. They want to learn more to really, really expand on this part of their business. What is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can, uh, obviously, you can give me a call. My phone number is area code 832-641-5377. Again, Rich Kerr. Uh, you can take a look at our website. Uh, it has some contact uh, information on there to contact us. Our website uh, is theprosperityclubllc.com. Again, that's theprosperityclubllc.com. And or you can email me at richard.kerr, that's K-E-R-R, um, at theprosperityclubllc.com. Beautiful. Perfect. Well, fantastic. Well, awesome. Thanks so much again for the time, everybody. Um, and be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and reach out to Rich. I mean, dude gave his phone number just on the podcast right here. So obviously, go use it, store it, um, send him lots of memes. No, just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, but really appreciate the time, Rich. Um, until next time, what do we tell the people, Thomas? Happy scaling. Happy scaling. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, guys.